I went to a meditation group every Tuesday night for about three, four years, two hours of meditation, a mixture of sound meditation, walking meditation, silent meditation. And I was doing this silent breath meditation. And this has happened to me a couple of times in my life. It was a real moment of enlightenment where in my sight, in my mind, the clouds parted. And I just had this vision of myself with this one phone that I could never put down. I could never get away from work because it was on my phone. I could never get away from personal because it was on my, everything was everywhere all the time. And I just, it was like the clouds parted in my mind. It was mad. And I remember after the, the 10 minutes or 20 minutes of breath meditation, people were invited to share. And I couldn't wait to share because I was like, I've just had a moment of enlightenment. Um, and the whole room was clapping and everybody was really, woo, Laura, because it was re a really powerful moment for me. It was amazing. Hi, my name is Andy Ramage. Welcome to my podcast, where I attempt to share the story behind the story of thought leaders, authors, athletes, everyday heroes and alcohol-free adventurers who have found meaning and purpose through their work, while also sharing some of their greatest wisdom. Let's do this. Do you ever experience a constant digital tug towards your technology? Do you check your emails way more than is necessary? Do you double screen by flicking through your phone whilst watching TV? Have you forgotten what it's like to be bored or to simply switch off? If so, you might be heading towards digital burnout. And today's guest experienced exactly that after suffering a breakdown due to in-box anxiety. Laura Willis had to learn the art of managing her devices to leverage their power whilst avoiding the overload. I first met Laura when she was delivering a talk on how to better manage technology to improve digital well-being. And during the talk, right, which we covered during this episode, she presented a slide that made me so sad, I almost wanted to cry. I'm not joking, it was that sad, right? The slide was a representation of how our free time has developed over the last 13 years or so, right? And free time being those moments in life where you can just do what you wish, your hobbies, your interests, be with loved ones. And over the last 13 years, our work time and free time has pretty much not changed, but what we do with that free time has altered dramatically, as you'll discover during this episode. But I warn you in advance, this stat will make your heart sink as it did for me. Equally, it might inspire you to transform your relationship with your tech, and that's what it's all about. During a meditation, Laura experienced almost like a vision of herself stuck with a phone she couldn't escape. It was with her in the office. It was with her at home. She was sort of trapped with this phone, this device she couldn't get away. And this experience, in many ways, set her out on this mission to transform her own technology, her relationship with her devices. And this led to the creation of Shine Offline, the brilliant Shine Offline, whose aim is to improve employee focus, collaboration, well-being, and work-life balance in an always-on world. You will love this conversation. Laura has so much timely wisdom to offer and a great story to share. All right, let's do this. Now, before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Yes, we have a sponsor out the traps for the podcast and not just any sponsor. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive daily nutritional drink I've ever tried. And it was really important to me to align with a sponsor that were aligned with my values. 
and a product that I actually used and genuinely I've been using Athletic Greens for several years now. And I got into it when I first started to transition my diet from a very poor one to an optimal one. And it was listening to podcasts such as the Rich Roll podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast, and later Wrong and Chatterjee's podcast, who are all partners with Athletic Greens. I thought, I've got to give this stuff a try. And it has been a game changer for me. My morning routine, as many of you will know, looks like this. I walk downstairs, fill up a large glass of water, drink it, fill up half full another glass of water, pour in a scoop of Athletic Greens, fill it up to the top, drink that I'm on the bike. Now, I know I might have freaked lots of Athletic Green users out who might be like, you can't put the Athletic Green scoop in the middle. It has to go in at the start or at the end. But that's the way I like to use it. And it's like my nutritional insurance because even with an optimal diet like I have now, life gets in the way. Stresses, lack of time, travel, all of those things are there to trip us up. But I know if I've had my Athletic Greens in the morning, I'm like job done. And here's the thing, it is packed. Let me give you some of like the science and what's actually going on inside this drink. Each scoop's got around 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, multivitamins, multiminerals, probiotics, green superfood blends, and so much more. It basically fills all those nutritional gaps. That's why I use it. And this is where it gets interesting for you guys. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system, so they're offering my listeners a free, F-R-E-E, one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Basically, you'll never have to buy vitamin D again. Right, so whether you're looking for peak performance, you're trying to just level up in your life, you're trying to fill those nutritional gaps, you're an alcohol-free adventurer trying to replenish your body, right, this is the drink for you. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage, right, and join the alcohol-free adventurers, athletes, health-conscious go-getters from around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Laura, welcome. Hello, Andy. Hiya. So it's been Hiya. a while since we last caught up you've come in and done some workshops for us and we've known each other since 2017 because i just went back and checked oh, when, we met... that long? Oh. Yeah. when we met inverness at the change your world conference and i was due to go on stage and talk about being alcohol free and reaching your full potential and all the stuff that i like to talk about and then you were on a couple of sessions prior to my talk and i thought oh, i'll just poke my head in here and listen to what this lady laura's got to say about digital well-being this is quite interesting and not only was your talk brilliant, and it was so engaging, I absolutely loved it, but there was one slide in there that blew my mind. It was just like, I can't believe that that is the sort of reality. That's a real stat and a fact. We're not going to go into that right now. We're going to save that for a bit later. But it was, it was a really powerful moment for me, and it was a big awakening to my own relationship with digital well-being, because that's what we're here to talk about today. Really, your hero's journey in many ways that's led you on this adventure to this place of meaning and purpose in helping people to manage and uh, improve their digital well-being who could have predicted that just a few years ago i think it's really exciting so i thought what we'd do is we'd start maybe at the beginning of your journey towards this point where you felt overwhelmed i think by your your digital life as it were okay cool 
Well, I suppose just to give a wee bit of context, I did study psychology, social psychology, um, and being one of those people who study psychology who never used their degree, I was one of those, but I had a, oh, yeah. an interest in human behaviour and I fancied myself as an anthropologist. But when I came out of uni, I ended up getting work in marketing and advertising and conferencing and stuff. And I'll always remember having this job in London and every morning I would come in and I would turn on my computer and I'd get the email going and I'd make a coffee and I'd come back and I'd check my inbox and I could feel the dopamine I could feel yeah. the adrenaline as the emails were coming through. And part of my job as well was conference sales. And there was this sales system that was on the computer. And when people bought tickets to attend the conference, sales went up. And the pull to that, like I would have been yeah. in and out of that thing every 15 minutes checking how the sales were going. So I had this pull and then I got my smartphone. And I didn't really notice any change around my own behavior, but I definitely noticed around me in my life People were different. They weren't connecting in the same way. They were distracted. They weren't, when we were talking, they weren't looking at me. And I sensed there was a bit of a change happening. And then I'd moved away from Northern Ireland and I was in London and I was on Facebook, but all my friends on Facebook were still in Northern Ireland. And I started to feel a bit of FOMO. Uh, yeah. It made me feel rubbish because they were all doing social stuff and I wasn't part of that. So that was all going on. And then, um, I also remember I used to leave my laptop at home whenever I became self-employed originally as a PR consultant. I would leave my laptop at home, obviously, and I'd be out meeting a client and I'd ring my husband and I'd say to him because he worked from home as well. Could you check my email for me? So I was getting him to right. check my email whenever yeah. I didn't have it on my phone. So it was something that was ongoing for me, this pull to my tech. And yeah. I suffered from quite severe panic attacks. I used to have them okay. reasonably regularly from my sort of early 20s, really from my working life, I was suffering from these panic attacks. But that was, then, pre, um, that was pre all the sort of the technology in many ways, do you think? Or well, it was always no, there? because one of the biggest ones I had, I remember now, was at the height of the pull to the conference sales updates right, okay. and the email checking in the morning at work. I was in a very stressful job. I'd been promoted doubly. I was in this role I probably shouldn't have been in my early 20s. And that's when the first big panic attack happened. And there was definitely a correlation, I think, to my tech behavior. Um, in 2012, I became a mum and I was still self-employed and I was working from home, doing work with real purpose, doing PR marketing for the creative sector, for arts. I, I loved my work. Um, yeah. My daughter was born and I started to dip back in when she was about four months old. And I became so overwhelmed. I was having constant panic attacks. I couldn't control my attention. Yeah. <clears throat> I was with her, but I was not engaged. I was on my phone checking my work email. And then I would be in client meetings and I would be having a panic attack because my daughter was in my handbag, essentially, in my phone. Yeah. Um, and it got to a point where I couldn't cope any longer and I had to take mm. time out. And I'd practice mindfulness when my dad was ill with um, Alzheimer's um, and then passed away at a quite an early age. I entered a really bad period and this had been about 10 years prior and I, I'd i stopped practicing mindfulness. So I decided I needed to revisit it because I'd found a lot of peace with my mindfulness practice yeah. previously. So I went back and you know as a mindfulness practitioner yourself that when you take time out of your day to just sit with your breath and really see your thoughts you can start to understand your behavior. And I had a moment of clarity one evening 
in the middle of a meditation where I saw myself from this phone and this overwhelm. And I realized my phone's causing all my stress. Yeah. So I started to change how I used it. I got it out of the bedroom. I got an alarm clock. I took email off the phone. I came off social media. I got a watch. I did all these little things to try and improve my relationship to my phone. Can I just and, jump in um, there? In the meantime, sorry, go ahead. Just I'm on a roll back. here. I know you're on a roll. Sorry, and it's so good. But there's a bit in there that I'm really interested in. I'm really interested in what you said there. So you, you, you performed this meditation. And within that meditation, you said you saw yourself on the phone and you made that link. Just Can you just explain that a bit more for me, what that felt like and what that was like? I'm just interested. Yeah, surely. I w went to a meditation group every Tuesday night for about three, four years two hours of meditation, a mixture of sound meditation, walking meditation, silent meditation. And I was doing this silent breath meditation. And this has happened to me a couple of times in my life. It was a real mm. moment of enlightenment where right. in my sight, in my mind, the clouds parted. And I just had this vision of myself with this one phone wow. that I could never put down. I could never get away from work because it was on my phone. I could never get away from personal it was on my everything was everywhere all the time and i just it was like the clouds parted in my mind yeah. it was mad and i remember after the the 10 minutes or 20 minutes of breath meditation people were invited to share and i couldn't wait to share because i was yeah. like i've just had a moment of enlightenment <laughs> um, and the whole room was clapping and yeah. everybody was really whoa laura because it was re a really powerful moment for me it was amazing and that's really important to just yeah pause and, and expand that because I know lots of people that have had a similar experience in and around a meditation of sorts of that real clarity. I haven't had that experience, I must admit myself, but it's just really nice to hear it from someone that you know I know really well. To, it was that clear to you. It was like, the, as you said, the clouds parted and then it was there, you with the phone, boom, penny drop. Yeah, amazing. So powerful. And such an insight then to start to try and make those changes. Yeah. Um, so I went on this journey of changing my behavior. And then I just got quite interested in the topic of digital detox. And it was it was being written about in magazines. And then I came across this documentary, a journalist who admitted he was on his phone all, the di all day and all his friends yeah. admitted it as well, um, went to America, uh, put his phone away for two weeks and immersed himself in this really unusual meditative outside woods forest experience um and had like he had a, an enlightenment as well where yeah. he realized well, he admitted that when his mom was on her deathbed dying of cancer he said looking back now i spent the whole time with the phone in my hand i wasn't present yeah, with her ouch. Yeah. and i now i can look back and i regret that and i don't want that to happen moving forward so i watched this documentary and it was it was mind-blowing for me i thought it was really powerful um and I had a sense there was something going on. I always felt I wanted to use my psychology and I didn't know why. And I loved my yeah. work at the time, but I wanted purpose. And then I was on the train commuting into London one day. And I sat down beside a woman flipping around her apps on her phone from WhatsApp to photos to calendar to Facebook. And watching her, even though you're not meant to watch people when they're on their phones, was making me feel agitated. Yeah. I'd chosen the commute to not look at my phone to look out the window or meditate or whatever. And then on the way home, I saw a fella sitting beside me on an, on an iPad watching Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch while playing solitaire on his phone. And I just had a... Multitasking. Ding, this 
life. Yeah. And it, yeah. what I thought was you're on your way back from a day at work and you need to chill and recharge and you're trying to do that, but you're doing two things at once and you're not probably getting as much as as if you'd absorb yourself in one of those tasks. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I had the sort of, God, something needs to happen here. Yeah, almost ep epiphany. And just even coming back a little bit, because you mentioned about a documentary there. And if you don't mind, I just want to use that as a bit of a segue to talk about a really powerful documentary that's come out recently, The Social Dilemma. Oh, I talk about it every day. Do you? Yeah. And I was going to say, what's yeah. your view on that? Do you think it's been really beneficial and helpful to, you know, again, getting people talking about this thing that is their digital well-being? Oh, my God. Amazing. Have you seen yeah. it? Yeah, I have seen it. Really, really powerful. Yeah, I think it's phenomenal. I think the way that they use the young man and the narrative of the dramatization of him yeah. to let us see what's happening behind the scenes and hearing the people who created Facebook and Twitter and Instagram standing up and saying, I used to go into the cupboard at home to check my phone because I didn't want my kids seeing me do it. Oh, my God, I felt the addictive elements to this stuff and I needed to change my behavior, you know, what do they say? Don't get high on your own supply. And then the fact that all these people have left the industry to work on the other side to try and support people to improve their, their digital health. I think it's really powerful and I'm recommending it to everybody over 12, basically, needs to watch yeah, it. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And there was a real sting in it. And I think you've just touched on it there. Was I think it was one of the ex-Facebook directors that basically said, I wouldn't let my kids near the tech. And that really, that stung me a little bit. As a parent, I went, hold on a minute. At that real sense of almost like you can imagine the big tobacco firms and the directors knowing in the 1960s, this is really killing people. It's really bad for people. So we're not going to smoke ourselves, but we're going to keep selling this thing to everyone else. It was a real sting for me. It was like, ouch, right, hold on a minute. Yeah. My kids have got hold of this stuff. And an important point that you also just made there is that we sort of think, oh, it's a teenage thing. And we may, you know, I've got teenagers and we look at them and think, oh, they're using their tech too much. But how many parents are sitting there having a conversation about their teenage kids using their tech too much whilst on their phone, whilst flicking on their phones? Precisely. And from day one in workplaces, I've always had the hand up going, what about the kids? Um, we need to change our behaviour, become yeah. aware of our own pull. I had a guy recently contact me to say, my daughter is addicted to her phone. What can I do? And I'm not an expert in kids and tech management, but I know enough about it um, and the adult psychology to be able to, and also as a parent myself and through the work I've done and the stuff I've read, and I sent him an email with some links and stuff. And then I put some of my own bullet points down. And one of the main things is, don't contradict yourself. Don't tell them to put it yeah. down and then while you're scrolling through your own. And he sent me back a really nice response that basically said, I need to look at my own behavior. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I yeah. think that's the case for, and I always say this around alcohol, you know, people will come to me all the time and say, I've got this loved one or a family member that I'm worried about their drinking. What's the best thing I can do? And I'm like, the best thing you can do without exception is to stop drinking yourself or take a break from alcohol yourself. It's the most powerful message that you can send. So I think in this example, learning to manage your own technology is the best thing that you can probably do for your children. Otherwise, it is a little bit like the doctor telling you not to smoke whilst puffing on a cigarette, isn't it? And they just that stuff just doesn't land home at all. It's like you can just sense the incongruency of the whole message whereas you know it has to come from that place of empowerment and I think that's a really important message about today's topic that this is for us as humans to realize that 
we are all in many ways fallible and gullible to lots of this technology. I know it, it originates many of this, um, these concepts and ideas from a guy called BJ Fogg. I'm sure you're probably aware of. He wrote an excellent book called Tiny Habits, but he had a lab at Stanford, which was called Technology Persuasion Lab at Stanford. And really what he decoded was the human brain and realized how sort of simple it is in many ways that we're these perfectly imperfect humans and we're full of thinking flaws and biases and we're easily misled, unfortunately, or led down a certain route. And what he did in a really simple methodology around motivation, ability and prompt, if I remember rightly, was actually create a system that would encourage people to use things or change their behavior in a certain way. And out of that lab came a guy who ended up being the co-founder of Instagram. That was never the idea from BJ Fogg. He was just trying to teach people, you know, how the brain work and how you could use persuasive technology. And here we have Instagram and Facebook that have refined all these tiny little tweaks. It's not an intelligence thing. It's a human thing. And we're all equally as fallible and um, can be lured into the, the same trap of the endless scroll and all of the things that, that social me media does so well. So I think just to make that point, it's not about an IQ thing or a sense no. that I'm this perfectly rational creature and I can decide off my own merits whether I use this technology or not. We've got to be aware that we will be sucked into this stuff unless we put certain measures in place. Yeah, you're, you're using it the way it was intended to be used. Yeah. It's been designed to hook you in. And Tristan Harris, who features very heavily in The Social Dilemma, who I love, um, there's a quote we share in our kickoff session, which is, um, it doesn't matter how many PhDs you have, it doesn't change the fact that the underlying limits of the mind are the same for everyone. And that's Tristan exactly. Harris, who used to work in the persuasion lab at Google and left to work on the other side. That's what he says. Yeah, like for me, the way I manage it now, most of the time is it's not present. It's nowhere near me. No, I'm not on social media, but I still got a pull to my inbox. It's incredibly strong. And if I had my, if I, well, if I had one phone and my work email was on that phone, I'd be on it all the time. So I have two phones and I've got a phone for work, which stays at work, but there's no email on it because I'm a bit school. And I leave my, I leave work at work. I leave work at work. I close the laptop and I leave it behind because I know how strong my pull is. And during lockdown, uh, lockdown one whenever I had to come at, come home for a bit and yeah. bring the laptop back with me the pull's there and I caught myself on opening it up and wanting to check my email at like eight o'clock at night I would that's the antithesis of everything that I'm about but yeah. I'm vulnerable like everybody is even though this is what I do for a living now this is I'm meant to be an expert in this stuff and I am but when it's it within my reach the pull's still there and that's because I'm uh, it's down to stress it's down to um, those vulnerabilities as humans, why do we turn to the tech? We turn to the tech because it's designed in a lot of cases to hook us in. But on the other side of things, you know, email isn't designed to hook you in, but there's a lot of psychology behind your relationship with your inbox because of what your inbox does for you. Yeah. Um, and for me, the physical barrier is the biggest, uh, the biggest tool I have really. To remove, in my, in yeah. My world. I must admit, I, you know, and, and this is not about being a Luddite either, is it? And just like, you know, saying we can't have technology because technology is here to say, stay. I think it's managing our relationship with it. But I also had a Nokia 3310 at one point, I think I remember showing you, which was the basic phone that all it does is ring and you can text. And I used that for about two or three months, actually. And it was really liberating. It was a great experience. You know, I got into the lift and actually spoke to people. I had to ask directions 
and things that you just don't have to do anymore. But equally, it was very limiting. And, you know, for my yeah. wife even trying to contact me because everyone else is using the same tool, such as text or WhatsApp, the text would come through this big, you know, convoluted story of a text. And my response would be, K. Okay. That was it. Because I couldn't double tap. If you've tried to like double tap texting, that's just, oh, yeah. that can't happen. So our communication broke down a little bit in that, you know, the basic sense. And obviously then there was the frustrations of not having that wonderful technology at my fingertips. Like occasionally Google Maps for me is so incredibly handy. Or when I'd arrive at the airport and go, <gasps> I haven't printed out the email. And there was no way yes. for me to get hold of it you know there is so many benefits to our technology i think the key is like you say is to find ways to manage it and i think ideas like that is such a great one if you can and if that's possible separate the two yeah and everybody's different and yeah we do say you know we, we're we're trying to get people to reframe their relationship with technology not remove it i suppose yeah the point i was making there was uh, i would call myself really a digital minimalist i what yeah. i've done is really paired everything back to what i really need and what am i going to use with real intent and that's what I use because the things like social media, it didn't bring enough benefit to my world to outweigh the negative aspects for yeah. me. So that's why I've come off it. And when it comes to my work-life balance, for me, it's just easier to have that physical separation from the, from the device. Now, Anna, who co-founded the business with me, she's a bit big fan of using tech to manage your tech. So she'll have like apps on her phone that will disable mm. her phone for half an hour so she can focus yeah. her mind or so that she can listen to a podcast but not be interrupted by WhatsApp messages or whatever. She's a, she she's really turned towards the technology to manage it, whereas my method has much been more of a sort of pairing back. But the point is everybody's different. And as you say, it's not yeah. going anywhere. This is a world our children are growing up in. We've got to turn towards it and work out what's going to work for me and then what's going to work for them because they're different people. But having an open dialogue with them about this and having an open dialogue in the home because your partner will probably be different as well. But it's not being scared to talk about it because it's causing a lot of stress for a lot of people, you know. Yeah, and I think this is the overarching theme is awareness, isn't it? It's like whilst oh, this yeah. technology is used mindlessly, a bit, you know, we always talk about in, in the world of alcohol as well, when you're drinking mindlessly, you're not just thinking about it. There is no conscious awareness of it. I think it will take you down a path that's unhealthy in many ways but once that awareness comes through and you're suddenly aware of the amount that you're using your technology or the the reasons you're turning to your technology because we sort of touched on that briefly there but i think there's a lot of underlying you know gabor mate says this about addiction but i think there are some similarities there in many ways people are addicted to their technology but he'll often say things like it's not why the problem it's why the pain and I think there's an element of that. Why are people turning to their technology, oh I think, to That's soothe away psychological thing. pain? Yeah, definitely. And it's the whole thing about, you know, you don't need to listen to your thoughts. You know, the, the University of Virginia study where they put people in a room, a blank room with no windows, blank walls for 15 minutes. Yeah. And they said you can either sit with your own thoughts or you can press that button, you'll get an electric shock. Electrocute yourself, And something yeah. like two-thirds of them electrocuted themselves. One man pushed the button over 140 times. We don't want to be at one with our thoughts because our yeah. thoughts can be really negative. So now there's a way where we don't need to be at one with our thoughts because we can just busy ourselves on our devices. And um, yeah, that's a massive part of it. The the lack, like I talk now to people about, when was the last time you were truly bored? Mm. And people will admit they can't remember. You don't need to be bored anymore. I've also recently asked a question on a poll, which I had never done before, and I'm going to use it more often. How often do you double screen? Which means, how often do you sit in front of the TV scrolling through an iPad or a phone? 
And I think the response was about 60% of people. Yeah. Which to me, now we don't double screen in our house. When we sit down, we are, have purpose. I've chosen to watch this programme. I'm going to get as much out of it as I can. But over half of the population are double screening. And I'm like, no, guys, watch the telly. Uh, yeah, I mean, double screening, it sounds, yeah. I mean, and I would say it's even higher than that. I've noticed that so much. Even, you know, I, I, I'm not one for that, but I've definitely seen that in my own house on numerous occasions. And then we try and put that to bed. It's like, come on, what you are you either watching this or we're not watching it. We can sit on our yeah. phones. But I can imagine that's going on all the time. So everything is sort of diluted, isn't it? You're not really getting a rich experience of even just watching the telly or being on social media. Everything's just this like low-grade mush, like cardboard sort of information that's not a allowing our brain any space to switch off or be bored or just daydream and do all the things that, you know, let's be honest, historically we've evolved to do. It's only in the last, you know, whatever it is, 20 odd years that our minds now have just gone to this place yeah. of never being able to rest, I think. And this is where it's, it's a, a culturally a much bigger issue than we think. But equally, it's this juxtaposition, isn't it, between this wonderful technology, which, you know, we love and we get to use, but also not allowing it to smother us in such a way that the upsides, you know, are far outweighed by the downside. And I love something you said earlier about digital minimalism. That really resonates with me, being really conscious about, right, what is it that I'm going to use that adds value to my life? If it's social media, brilliant. If that's a really conscious decision. But equally, I'd yeah. use technology such as Facebook all the time for the groups that I create. And I think they're wonderful. It's a brilliant way to create community. But equally, I don't use it for traditional social media, although I put lots of stuff out on social media. I'm live every day at sort of 7.15. But I, I'm not a consumer. I've really spent a lot of time, just like you, getting really clear on how do I want to use this technology? Right, I'm going to leverage the bits that serve me. And then I'm not going to go near the bits as best I can that don't. And the other, I suppose it's, it's that individual differences thing, like, you know, I'm somebody who historically has always become quite overwhelmed. Like in yeah. our house, even I've got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and my four-year-old boy, is, he talks, I don't know where he gets it from, but he talks incessantly. And <laughs> having the, even having the radio on yeah. as an additional noise for me is a bit overwhelming. So I quite like, even though I'm a very loud person, I like silence. And if I'm running, I don't want to listen to anything. I'm just running. I'm exercising with, you know. Whereas there are other people like Anna, who I work with, she's constantly got the radio on. She runs with podcasts. Everybody's level of overwhelm and what they can absorb is different. And that's why I think I've gone down this digital minimalism road, which well, I won't take that um, that phrase for my own. It's Cal Newport's phrase. He wrote that's deep right. work. He wrote digital book, minimalism. Yeah. And he's written a new one. Have I got it? Oh, Andy, drum roll. Oh, here we go. A world, a world without, without email. Email. Yes. Oh, oh Carl. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I find that that's the best approach for me. My husband, the most zen man I ever walked the face of the earth, uh, no stress around his tech. He's only got one phone for work and personal use. Doesn't bother him. He uses his uh, eBay app quite a lot. He's on Vinted. He buys and sells stuff. Um, he listens to podcasts. He gets news updates. But he doesn't get overwhelmed. Whereas if I was existing the way he does around his device, I'd get overwhelmed. So it's about understanding that we're all different. And there's no right or wrong. It's just about personality type and disposition to stress, etc. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's that awareness piece again. And, and that getting to know thyself a bit better. And that 
you know, not comparing. It's not like, well, it works perfectly for them, so it should work for me. We're all so individual that it's yeah. that awareness of actually I am overwhelmed quite quickly. I will become stressed. I do struggle to manage this. And like you said, put those barriers up, that digital minimalism, yeah. remove the phone physically if you can have two phones. All of these ideas that maybe we'll get into in a second. But I just want to come back to the story. So here you are, you're starting to change your own relationship with technology. And then how did you find yourself sort of transitioning, let's say, from the work that you was in to, to what you do now that fills you with meaning and purpose? Um, well, I just had a real, a very, very strong feeling that that this was so needed. Mm. Um, so I started to read a bit more about it. And I had a good friend who was the MD of a really successful um, productivity training company in Brighton called Think Productive. Okay. Um Graham Alcott founded Think Productive and he's uh, published, uh, he's written a lot of really good books. And I basically asked my friend to introduce me to him. And I went and I spent, he gave me an hour of his time. And I was really stressed. This man's a productivity expert and he's given me an hour of his time. <laughs> but it was really chilled. And I told him what I was thinking, um, my, my ideas about the world and what was going on and what maybe needed to happen. Um, and initially it was all consumer facing, I was thinking. We were gonna like run camps and stuff. And he said, no, 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 you don't wanna do that. You wanna go and work in workplaces. You wanna get to people through their jobs. Yeah. So um, we then just started to, I approached um, Anna. We, we'd been doing PR marketing work together for years anyway, um, and told her about it. And she actually was working on a, a Italian food PR campaign at the time. And the client would email her and if she didn't respond, he'd Facebook her. And if she didn't respond, he'd WhatsApp her. Oh, wow. So she was suffering from severe yeah. uh, work overwhelm. So then I just basically started to wind up the clients that I had, told them my plan, and had a six-month period of sort of transitioning from closing up the PR and marketing accounts and starting to really research what this thing might look like. And how um, did that... Um... Feel for you because that's a bit that is a big move that isn't it you've got this like tug you know what was what was driving that where was that coming from obviously you'd had this nice experience yourself and you thought that this was needed in the world but it's still quite a big leap to go from right now I'm going to start winding up all my clients and I'm going to transition into this thing and I guess it's pretty much unknown at that stage I guess it didn't even exist no I know I, I think it was as much as looking around the world and just going no this isn't right Right, okay. I'm sitting on this train and nobody's talking to anybody. Yeah. Not that I'm expecting strangers to sit on a train talking to each other, but why are everybody's too absorbed? This is not right. This is not what we're meant to be doing. And I feel overwhelmed. So if I feel overwhelmed, other people must feel overwhelmed. And I talked to people. I talked to Lynn, my sister, who you know, she yeah. was feeling really overwhelmed, other friends, people. And I just had this real sense. Now, what we haven't added into the story here was we also decided we wanted to have another child. So okay. as I was winding up the old business and starting Shine Offline, I got pregnant. So the first year of Shine Offline, I was pregnant. I was standing on stage. The first job I did, I had a massive bump. So I think, I don't know what zone my head was in, but I just must have felt very superwoman or something. I don't yeah. know. But I just felt, I felt very passionate that... Something needed to change. And for some reason, I felt that I, I could be somebody who could make a change. Yeah. And that's your real call to adventure in that hero's journey. And that takes a ton of courage to, again, step over that 
threshold into the unknown. Because like I said, at that stage when you started Shine Off Line, no one was even really talking about this stuff, were they? Obviously, the, the technology was out there, but no one was really talking about managing your digital well-being. I guess, did you find any sort of resistance to that early on? Was there any big obstacles that you had to overcome? Well, we didn't even use the phrase digital well-being in the first year, year and a half, because it wasn't really, didn't really exist. Yeah. So we talked about um, improving your relationship with your phone. It was really about your phone back then. It's about lot, it's yeah. a lot bigger than that now. And it's a lot more workplace orientated now, that rather than just about you and your device, you and your smartphone. But um, there wasn't really resistance. I, I was told once by the global head and safety head of a bank that we were too innovative, that we were before our time that this is a problem, but that people aren't quite ready for it yet. And that was about three years ago. Um, and don't get me wrong, like we worked our asses off and we didn't make yeah. any money. We didn't earn any money for two years. We we built, but it was small and we put it back into the business to market ourselves and stuff. But um, I think there was a bit of a, once you started the conversation, well, if you managed to get somebody on the phone or into a coffee conversation, the minute you started talking about it, you could see them going, that's me, that's yeah. me, that's yeah. me. And I think that's as well why I felt so strongly about it because anybody I'd spoken to about it, would, all they then wanted to do was talk about themselves. Yeah. And I thought, this is resonating with everyone. Yeah, yeah. So everybody seems to have their own story. So there's value here in supporting people. There's got to be. And then, so how did that take shape? You started to transition out of your existing clients to start Shine Offline. What form did that take? Was it workshops? Was it you going directly into businesses? Was it, you know, direct to individuals? Well, I actually approached my sister, who's very useful, who you know, who yes, was working do, for really, a yeah. media marketing music agency at the time. We had this idea that a lot of our work would be team away days. It isn't. But we, that was our original original concept. So my sister got basically her agency and their sister agency to put together 30 staff. And we were given them for a day in December. And we went off to this scout hall in the middle of the woods. And we got everybody to uh, check in their phones. And we did a bit of um, interactive workshopping around the connected world and distraction and what's happening. We had a mindfulness teacher who I was who was my mindfulness teacher who get, did a bit on the importance of mindfulness in the distracted world. Um, and then we sent people off to do activities in the woods. It was all about reconnecting with yourself, reconnecting yeah. with nature. We did um, a sauerkraut workshop, which was all about um, with sauerkraut, you, when you make it, you then have to let it breathe, but you have to open it every day. So we got people to write intentions around their mobile phone. We've done this workshop about how you could improve your habits around your device. And we gave people lots of ideas of things they could do. So they had this jar of sauerkraut. It all came together really well. I'm maybe not describing it terribly well, but they had this jar of sauerkraut that they'd made. And then they had to write two intentions on a label. And every day for the next month, they were going to have to open their sauerkraut to let it breathe. Because if you don't open it, it explodes. And that meant they would have to read their intention every day Love for 30 it. days. They all It just came together beautifully. And then... The end of the day, we had some reflection where people were, were sort of walked around the area on their own. And then we came uh, back around the fire camp. No, we gave them back their phones and they had to write down how they felt. And then we lit a fire, we had a campfire and we had hot chocolate and everybody talked about the day. And it all went really well. I was at the start of pregnancy, so I felt sick the whole day, but it all landed really well. 
And then we asked the two HR directors if we could take them for lunch for a debrief. So a few weeks later, we met them. I'll never forget this. We met them out in Holborn in this crummy cafe. And um, we sat down and there was a fella and a girl and the guy went, you're going to change the face of workplaces. And I was wow. like, what? Wow. I've got morning sickness. What's going on? <laughs> and the woman was like, what you could do is phenomenal. And they started talking real HR talk about yeah. workplace cultures and all this. And I was going, I just want people to improve their relationships with their phones and not feel like that. To me. But then that, that they were so, uh, you know, fired up by it that then it started to take its own shape because the feedback we got from them and the conversations we had with other people, you know, the product went back back to the productivity guy, spoke to him a wee bit more and started to um, let the thing evolve a bit and take a bit of courage around it. Um, and, and another piece of advice was, we can't send people out for a day, it's too long. We need bite-sized sessions, we need 90 minutes, we need an hour. So we basically took a day and we put it into 90 minutes. Um, and then we started to sell that. And our first Not... job was with Disney, which we did for free. But then it meant we could tell everybody we've worked with Disney. Yeah. Um, Is and Mickey then Mouse on his phone too much then? Say it again? Is Mickey Mouse on his phone too much? That's what it is. Oh, Minnie's a nightmare. Minnie yeah, Mouse on my Instagram. Like, Who's bikini shots? Exactly. And But that's <laughs> what I love about hearing these stories it's really important for everyone listening is that, you know, there wasn't a clear plan. There wasn't a path where you didn't sort of get the flip chart out and say I know what I want to do the rest of my life is you know help people around the digital well-being you actually had this sense this tug that there was an injustice and you happened to be the person that you know had to stand up for that in some way and you experimented with that initial workshop which now is completely different in terms of the way that you present the material but it takes a ton of courage to do that you know these things are not by by luck they are by courage they are by that drive or that calling or that sense there's just something more to this this is not quite right the way that we're behaving and I love that about your story and that's what obviously fills you with this meaning and purpose and that's why your message is getting broader and broader and you're reaching more people which is super exciting and they're just sort of bringing it back to that slide that I mentioned right at the start because I just don't want to miss out on that because it was a really important piece of information for me that really blew my mind do you mind just explaining what that slide was um, to everyone listening yeah. Yes, yeah, so it was basically, it was a slide that Adam Alter shares in his TED Talk. So if anybody wants to check out that, and I emailed Adam Alter. He doesn't know me from Adam, he's based in New York, to ask him if I, if he could give me the slide so I could yeah. use it in my sessions. And he wrote back and I couldn't believe it. Oh, so he's wonderful. a good man. So Adam Alter's TED Talk, check it out. Basically, it's a slide that shows the year the smartphone was launched, which is 2007, 2015, and then 2017, and the amount of time we spend on certain activity on certain activities. So there is uh, work, work and commute, sleep. Um, well, there's one other that's left me, and then the rest, which is your rest time, your downtime, your me time, the sweet time, the hobbies, the relationships, all that sort mm. of stuff. Oh, the other one was survival skills or survival time, which is things like eating and washing and looking after your children if you're a parent. And what this graph shows was that the year the smartphone was launched, about half of your personal time, your me time, was spent in front of a screen. By 2015, that had grown quite a lot. And then by 2017, pretty much 90% of that time was spent in front of a screen. Um, and it leaves this little tiny slither of yellow. And that's where we've got no screen time for our individuality and our intimacies and that true looking into people's eyes and 
being outside in nature and yeah. all those things that bring so much joy and meaning to our world. And since lockdown one, since last March 2020, I've been asking people in our sessions if they feel their screen time has gone up. And it's in the 80s, in the low 80s, people have said, now obviously screen time went up with COVID because yeah. all of a sudden we needed to be on screen to be collaborating with people over Zoom and we were you know, doing pub uh, Zoom or uh, pub quizzes and uh, working out and everything on, on screen. But even coming out of lockdown, people are still recognising that habits have changed and that their reliance on their technology is even higher. So, yeah, it's about... That's, that slides to sort of hold up a mirror to how we're behaving around our technology and a, a bit of a wake-up call to reclaim yeah, was, your time. It was for me. I mean, I'm a visual person, and to see that on the screen, and you described it like that little slither, it was like this little bit of time. It's all we've got left to be, like, sort of human, it felt like, just to do nothing, to daydream, to spend time with loved ones, it was this tiny little slither. That was in 2017. It has to be higher than that now. But it hasn't got much more to go, is it? If it gets to 100%, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's incredibly sad. And I, I'm hoping that we might have reached a bit of a top, even though I know it feels like technology is everywhere. I think the wonderful work that you're doing and the awareness that's starting to, to seep in that people are going to say, hold on, this can't be right. There has to be more to this life thing than what's, on our phone and you know we've been sort of focusing a little bit there on the phone but it's just the overall technology isn't it you know it's the email it's the laptop it's the we are smothered by this stuff and i think it really takes a lot of conscious effort and planning to protect that beautiful little slither of time that we have and try and broaden that a bit so we have more time to read to connect like you said to look in a loved one's eyes and not be like half looking at a phone or, or a screen. I just can't believe that that's the right way to behave. But equally, it takes a lot of work, I think, to create that structure. So just on that note, you know, where you are at now in terms of your learning, if there were some sort of tips around that, maybe that you could give to, to people listening to try and manage that, equally, we're all very different. But if there was some sort of overarching tips to help manage your technology, that'd be brilliant. Um, okay, well, um, let's start with sort of the home thing. Um, 80% of people use their phone as their alarm clock, which means yeah. they look at their phone before they go to sleep. They look at it in the middle of the night. It's the first thing they look at in the morning. Not only does it stimulate your mind and raise your cortisol, which will impact your sleep, but it puts you in a bad mood because you've looked at the news or your work email before you've even got out of bed. So make your bedroom screen free. Um, take your phone out of the bedroom, get an alarm clock. That's one of the simplest things you could do. Um I believe having two phones is a game changer, a work phone and a personal phone. Yeah. Because it means that you can put work away, you can put personal away, you can focus your mind. Um, creating that physical barrier between yourself and the device. You know, if you are going to sit down and have dinner or you are going to sit down and watch The Crown or whatever it is you're watching at the moment, put the phone on flight mode in the tea and coffee cupboard where mine lives and absorb yourself in that moment. Mm. Create a physical barrier between yourself and the device for times. Use screen time features on your phone to understand. You can go into settings and in digital well-being or screen time features, you can see how you behave around the phone. You've been on the phone for four hours today, what you were doing on the phone, and then you can start to set limits for yourself. So use the phone. And our blog has got lots of um, little articles about all this sort of stuff, all these little tips that you can do. Um, at work, 96% of people have their phone on their desk when they're working. 
94% of people have their inbox open. What's the result? 75% of people say they feel overwhelmed during the day. 92% of people say they can't do their work because they're so digitally distracted. Rethink how you use your email. Massive. You have to be in your inbox all day. Yeah. I, I'm, Most I'm people bit... work through their inbox. Yeah, That's I'm, I'm, I'm lethal for that. I'm lethal yeah, for that. We are in react and respond. And we're letting other people's priorities overtake our own. Our to-do lists are out the window because we live and breathe through our communications. So I challenge everybody I work with to close their inbox for the first 15 minutes of every hour. Brilliant. Or if you're on Outlook, just press the work offline functionality, which means you can see your email, you can see your folders, you can access documents, but nothing will come in and nothing will go out. Yeah. Which means you'll have focused time. 15 minutes every hour is not that much to not be responding, but it's enough if you're not used to having focused time. So uh, that is and when I suggest that. And I, whenever I get people to share intentions at the end of a session, that's the most popular intention that people have, because I think email causes more stress than anything else. Yeah, and I think that's it. We can sort of blame it all on the phone and it's the social media. But in truth, I think for a lot of people, it is that inbox that follows you around on your phone, but then it's on your laptop. And I know I've I've definitely suffered from that much more than social media. I've never really been that bothered about that in truth. But the email is just, it's that little dopamine of, <gasps> is there going to be an exciting yeah. email in there for me? Or is there going to be a problematic email in there? It's not, it's, it's a really like underlying low grade sort of, anxiety that ev rarely ever yeah. feeds you with oh, what a great email it's like oh there's that like worrisome troublesome email so i think you're right there's some absolutely brilliant tips in there i think that many people will be able to take away from this and then just bring it back to a, a slightly bigger question in terms of your meaning your purpose i think i know the answer to this because we've touched on it already but could you ever have predicted prior to your overwhelm with your own technology that you'd be doing what you do today and absolutely loving it. No, but I'm going to tell you something that I've not really told very many people. Maybe oh, this is a mistake. Oh, good. Go for it. You know that You know that scene in Cocktail when Tom Cruise takes the little uh, umbrella out of the drink and he says, somebody invented this. Somebody created this. And there are now millions of these all over the world and da, da, da. And he's yeah. thinking about his purpose and what he's going to do. I remember watching that, no, not way back when I watched it the first time around, but maybe about 15, 20 years ago and thinking, I feel that. I think there's something I'm meant to be doing. And I think that's why I turned my PR career into one with purpose, where I was doing a lot of community outreach projects mm -hmm. through the art stuff I was doing. And I wanted to give something back. But I really feel, I wouldn't have known it was going to be about digital management yeah. and well-being. But I do, and I'm not like I was put on this earth to help, but I definitely had a sense that I want, I wanted to study psychology because I was interested in people and I was interested in how they behave with each other. And so I'm not that surprised that I'm doing this type of thing. But if somebody had said that that's what it would have been, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't have had a clue. But there isn't a day, Andy, that I don't love it. Now, don't get me wrong, I get stressed out. And I get stressed out because I want it to be as good as it can be. And sometimes it gets really busy and I get a bit overwhelmed. And sometimes we're about to get really busy and I want it to be really busy and I'm striving for it to be. And I do get myself stressed out. But there's not a moment where I'm doing it that I'm not feeling very privileged of, to be in this position because I know the value of what we're doing because I get back. The feedback we get is amazing. 
And I want to really empower people to take that personal responsibility for themselves. Own your digital behavior. You can take control of this stuff for yourself if it's if it's causing you stress. And as businesses, support your people. Do not expect them to be on 24-7. Let them have a rest. Yeah. Let them engage their brains when they're at work. Don't have them responding to emails within 20 seconds of getting it. We've got to talk about this stuff because it's not going anywhere. And um, yeah, it's it's for me, it's a real joy to be working in this space because it's getting more interesting as the days move forward, you know. Yeah, I'm so glad I asked that question because that was beautiful to see you then really like reconnect with that meaning and purpose. And, and you know, to, to go back to that um, Tom Cruise film, and, and I felt a bit like that. And I think that's the case for lots of people. There's a sense that you want to give back or do something and you don't know what shape or form that's going to take. And then through the various twists and turns of your life, it ends up manifesting in an area that you could never have predicted. Same with me in the alcohol-free space. I could never have seen that. But there was always a sense for quite a long time of, I, I'm not getting any meaning and purpose from the current environment yeah. I'm, I'm in. There's something more to this in service of others or giving back. I didn't know how it was going to look. And then through my own mm. personal circumstance, just like you, my own relationship with alcohol was like, oh, maybe this is the opportunity now. Maybe this is, again, it wasn't a great plan. It was just sort of unfolded. And here we both are you know, loving this thing that we do in these completely different uh, fields. But we both have that smile and that energy. And to hear you sort of articulate that and like punch it home there at the end was just, I thought that was really, really special, really cool. Um, and I think oh. that's a lovely place to, to wrap it up there. But I know you mentioned the blog there. So can you just let us know where you are online, how people can get in touch with you? And um, that would be great. Yeah, so I'm Laura at shineoffline.com and the website shineoffline.com. And if you forward slash, if you forward slash blog, you'll see the list of all the blog articles in there. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's one thing I do want to say as we close, if you don't mind, I want to just touch upon screen time yeah. because I think moving forward, it's not necessarily about screen time. So I'm thinking here maybe about parents and kids yeah, and then about your own behavior. It's not about your time on screen. So they're only allowed to play that game for an hour. It's about what they do when they're on it. It's about the act. It's the intent. It's the purpose. It's the quality of the behavior. So I would rather a child played a game, an interactive game that they got really zoomed into and that they were using their creativity and their innovation, et cetera, maybe playing with their friends for an hour and a half than they were scrolling through YouTube or social media. There's quality differences there. And I, there's a move now towards, it's not about, like there was a lot of worry over lockdown. My kids are on screens all day because they're doing home learning, but they're doing home learning. And as long as you're conscious of their need to get fresh air, move their bodies, exercise, if they're learning and engaging with their teacher through that, there is positivity there. Um, and so I just wanted to say that because it's, I could become a person who demonizes this technology. And yeah. there was a time where I would have been, I wanted everybody to live in the woods. But I'm I'm maturing and I've matured over the past five years with this stuff. And it's not necessarily about time spent. It's about what you're doing and the negative potential that can come out if it's out of balance. So is your are your relationships being negatively affected because of your Facebook usage or because of your work-life balance issues where you're not never getting off your work email? Um, is your performance at work being affected by your, do you know what I mean? So it's not as simple as being on and being off. I'm so glad. And I hope you don't mind me just up. saying that as a, because as a, as a, I just really wanted to shoehorn it in there and I didn't get a chance. No, it's so important because I'm experiencing this right now with my teenage daughter or one of them. If I can hear her 
then I don't mind her being on a tech. And what I mean by that is she's laughing, they're having the banter, they're having the crack with her friends. I'm like, that's great fun. That's a great use of technology. Right enough, her screen time would say she's been on it for the last hour, but I don't mind that as opposed to it's silent and there is this, you know, this mindless, whatever it is, social media type absorption versus engaging with her friends online. I think that's a brilliant way to socialize. And they have such, honestly, the laughing and the messing. I'm like, do that all day long. You know, obviously I'd, I'd prefer yeah. you outside doing that, but that's not always possible in the modern world we live in. Yeah. So that is a really wonderful point. I'm glad you, you, you raised that. So uh, thank you, Laura. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Fab. All right, team, we will wrap it up there. And um, I think we'll do this again at a later date because I think we could have rolled that a lot longer. And this is a topic that's only going to get bigger and more interesting and more necessary over time. So thank you for all that you do. It's beautiful to hear your story of meaning and purpose around digital well-being. And we'll do this again soon. Thanks, Andy. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out the shorter episodes, which are clips from my daily live show, The Fun Side of the Island with Andy Ramage, that you can join every day at 7.15am BST by following at Andy Ramage Official on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube, search for Andy Ramage. Also, for the first time ever, I'm now training double accredited coaches in my unique coaching blueprint. Go to andyramage.com and check out courses for more information. And if you'd like to train with me on my latest online live course, The Arate Way, also head to andyramage.com courses. I'll make no secret of it. I would love to train with you. So let's make it happen. And I thank you for listening. It's deeply appreciated. The best thing you can do to show some love to the podcast is to click subscribe or follow. And don't forget the sponsors, Athletic Greens, who are giving our listeners a free year supply. Yes, free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today when you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and sign up. And I love it most of all when you share the episode you enjoy on social media. You can just take a screenshot as you listen and then put it out and tag me in at Andy Ramage Official on Facebook and Insta. You're amazing. Finally, you can sign up to my free newsletter where I share exclusive posts along with things I'm enjoying, such as podcasts, books, quotes, TED Talks, and much more. And many of you message to say this is your favorite thing that I produce. So please check it out by going to andyramage.com and there is an option to sign up at the footer of every page. As always, a massive thank you to Matt McCormick for producing the podcast and thank you to Austin Sweetman for your digital promotions. You can find me on team at andyramage.com, at andyramageofficial on Insta and Facebook, and Andy Ramage on YouTube. See you back here soon for another episode. Let's do this. <laughs>